Warning. This podcast features adult subject matter, adult language, and things not meant for children to hear. Viewer discretion is advised. You've been warned. I think we might. We we did it again, ladies and gentlemen. We did it again. We're live. Live on the I'm No Joe channel, everybody. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for tuning in once again to the I'm No Joe podcast, a show where every armchair quarterback can feel like an Eddie Bravo. Today, as like most days, I've got a menagerie of folks who may or may not show up to have a good time and talk some MMA shit with us here. The one we do have on hand, the one that we can count on every Wednesday night to have more shenanigans ready than anyone else you can talk to, the one and only Golf Tea Vapes. How you doing, brother? Not too bad. Hopefully we're not having no naps tonight, uh, although I'm expecting some naps on Saturday. That's all I'm saying. Ain't that the damn truth. <laughs> so, we will get right into it here as we do most times and we will start right off at the tippy top of the show with the news and recent events the going-ons that have happened since the last time we saw you wonderful folks a couple of fight announcements i want to talk about a couple of oh shit situations we're going to need to go over real quick so first and foremost right out of the gate they have officially called the one and only, the much anticipated, I say sarcastically, Zabit has pulled out of his fight with Calvin Cater, which was made on last minute notice that no one really asked for, but they were giving it to us anyway. Under mysterious circumstances. They have yet to announce any reason why he has pulled out, just that he will now be unavailable for this fight. This was going to be a huge, huge showdown in Moscow, of all fucking places. And then all of a sudden, they announced that, uh, yeah, wait, no, never mind. Just playing. We're, we're not actually going to, to do that. So I'm very curious with all the hype surrounding Zabit, all this, you know, he's the next one talk that's been brewing, and it's been brewing how they would let something like this happen where they move him to the main event in Moscow and then mysteriously pull out still, you know, a month and a half, a month and chain, almost two months now from uh, the actual fight. So we're definitely going to have to keep an eye out and see what the hell actually happened there because with as much as they're pushing the beat right now, they're not going to pull him out of that fight for no reason especially, you know, with more than enough time to move it after they'd already moved it to the Moscow card. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. Um, next little thing I want to mention from last weekend, if you did not get to see last weekend's Vancouver card, holy shit, there were some spectacular matchups. There was absolutely some fluff like we anticipated there was going to be, just like there's going to be this weekend. But there were some spectacular spectacular matchups last weekend 
uh, one in particular that I feel deserves as much fucking praise and shine as you could possibly get. I would almost be hard-pressed not to devote an entire chunk of a show to it, but we don't have that much time, so I just want to give him a little bit of mention here. Um, Mr. Perea missed weight acted like an ass at the ceremonial weigh-ins after he was confirmed to have missed weight and then came into his match continuing to act like an ass. He was putting on an absolute show, not a fight, mind you. He was putting on a show and a hell of a show at that. The problem is he was in a fight trying to put on a show, pretending that his capoeira was really going to do something useful in the octagon, doing literal backflips and cartwheels and crazy jumps and gassed himself out to the extent that uh, his opponent won Mr. Tristan Connolly, who took the fight on five days' notice a weight class up from where he normally fights, was able to easily put on a beautiful demonstration of why you don't act like an asshole in the octagon and just ragdolled and flat-out worked Mr. Pahea. On five days, did I mention he took this fight on five days notice and a weight class up from where he fights? Because he took the fight on five days notice, a weight class up, and then won in beautiful fashion. And because the clown that was cartwheeling in front of him had missed weight, not only did he automatically have to give up 30% of his purse to Mr. Connolly, he is then not eligible for any bonuses. And guess what fight won? Fight of the night for a pair of 50,000 bonuses. That's right, the Connolly Pahea fight. And because the clown missed weight and was thus ineligible, Tristan Connolly got his win bonus, got his show money, got his 30% from Pahea's purse, and then got all 100,000, both of the $50,000 performance bonuses for fight of the fucking night. I could not have possibly picked a better person on this card to have deserved that. He fought like an absolute fucking professional. He came in on short notice like a professional. And that gentleman has earned himself a metric fuck ton of fans after this weekend. Yours truly being one of them. Holy shit, Tristan fucking Connolly. I second that notion. The only thing that makes me more happy about that fight other than Tristan Connolly winning was that it was another big middle finger to Big Daddy Dana for trying to shove a Contender Series fighter down our fucking throats again. Got yep. fucked up. You got us yep. fucked up. We don't want that shit. We want true professionals. Look, if you're gonna, if you want to be a gymnast, go be a gymnast. If you want to be a fighter, be a fucking fighter. But don't fucking come in. Look, there are some capoeira moves that do legitimately work. We've seen Absolutely. them. But doing the shit you were doing, looking like you were mashing the buttons on the fucking Xbox controller, doesn't fucking work, dude. And not to mention, I'm more happy just purely for the fact that it is another soup can that we did not want gets kicked to the curb. That was going to be their new golden boy, and I fucking oh, yeah. know it. Had he won that fight, even missing weight like the unprofessional cocksucker he is... He would have been, well, that's our new golden boy. Did you see what he did? Fuck that guy. In fact, um, I hope he gets another fight and gets demolished again. 
Yeah, I would I would absolutely love to see that guy just get ragdolled right the fuck out of the UFC. Like you can tell he clearly did not take this as seriously as someone trying to make a name for themselves should have been. He acted like he was a fucking seasoned pro, and I use that term loosely, who's been in there, you know, dozens of times and earned accolades, and he's a nobody. He looked like he was trying to be a fucking luchador. Yeah. Yeah, he was. Wrong business, buddy. Right. The the audition for those, you have to follow Kane for. It's in a different building. It's That's not what we do here anymore. (laughs) But... In the vein of talking about some of the insane things that happened last weekend, uh, fuck Todd Duffy. Um, We made a point to talk about how he was a soup can returning with more accolades than he deserved, with way more hype than he was justified to receive. And then in his fight, we saw a perfect example of that. What was a controversial, possibly not even real eye poke which looked to be more like an outside graze by a apparently tucked finger in a very you know professional closed defensive move he then played up to the extent without showing any redness around the eye no scratching no blinking no adverse reaction like you would normally see told both the referee multiple times and then the doctor who subsequently came in to check on him that he was both seeing double and then unable to see clearly to begin with, to which they immediately called the fight an accidental eye poke, no contest. Todd Duffy quit in a fight that he was getting his ass beat in, kind of like we said was going to happen. This guy was a fucking nobody when he was around the first time. I don't understand why the UFC tried to put so much fucking attention and hype on him with him coming back for the first time after being out of the Octagon for almost four years. When you leave a soup can and you wait some years and you leave the game and then you come back and you've got nothing on your resume or to your accreditation to verify that you've improved from where you were to begin with, let alone are still at current competition level, it gets exposed pretty quick. And we saw that exposure in Todd Duffy. He absolutely quit. And I really hope the UFC just does all of us a favor and just release that motherfucker. Let him go be a soup can somewhere else because he's already made more money off the UFC giving him chances than I feel that he deserves. He really just disrespected the organization and the sport in general with what he did this weekend in my eyes. And one portion of this I do have to play devil's advocate on. He did have one highlight moment in that fight where he looked like he had a chance. Yeah, for for about that much time. Yeah, he, he, he caught him clean a couple of times, had him on the ropes, but then he just let off the gas, which was his yep. own goddamn fault. The same yep. double thing, anybody who was watching that fight, you just got knocked down, you got punched in the face a couple more times. That was seeing double from getting fucking hit. Oh. Well, he, even the opponent. Jeff Hughes, the soup can that was fighting him, said in his post-fight interview afterwards, any real fighter who wants to be in that cage, you would never hear them say the words, I can't see, or I'm seeing double. Any fighter will do that. That's a real fighter. Any fighter who wants to fight. Prime example of this. Donald Cowboy Cerrone, after he blew the fucking nose like a dumbass, He still wanted to go out and fight. He literally asked the doctor when they came in, can you just cut my eye and let the air out? 
Yeah. And they got the, the doctor mic. had to tell him that's something you see in movies. That's not yeah. actually true. <laughs> yeah, they had the the boom mic hanging right above him in the octagon, and you can hear him clearly say to the doctor, can you just cut my eye open and let the air out so I can get back to the fight? And the doctor, like TJ said, had to tell poor Conway, that's a cartoon thing. That doesn't work in real life. When you blow your eye up with air, it's full of air for a goddamn while. Unfortunately for Cowboy, he found that out the hard way after a stupid mistake. But when you want to be in the fight, you can tell. And when you don't want to be in the fight, you can also tell. And we saw very clearly everyone that watched Todd Duffy did not want to be in that fight. So I'm very much hoping the UFC will just take that pathetic fucking performance and use that as an excuse to just let him go. He should have been let go the first time he decided he was going to take his break from the UFC, which didn't have any fucking bearing to begin with. But for whatever reason, they brought him back. I hope this is the last time we have to see Todd Duffy, though, because that's not what we need in the UFC. When we already have more than enough fluff on all of the cards we see, we don't need extra soup cans who don't even want to be in the fucking cage. I wanted to give him the benefit of the doubt, being as he was a veteran of the sport, but after that, no. No. I fucking washed my hands. Yeah, he he wasted he wasted his opportunity. He could have had a great a great thing going, and he he really just let it fucking go. So hopefully we don't have to see him anymore. Fingers crossed. <laughs> but moving on from there, the ending of the night was heartbreaking. Um, Everybody wanted to see Cowboy do good. Everybody wanted to see a good fight. Everybody wanted to see a close fight. What we saw was a a pretty good fight. Unfortunately, though, we did not get to see Cowboy look good. Uh, Justin got him with a absolutely perfect shot that ended his night in the first round. Um, the biggest issue I have with the Cowboy Justin fight was the ending. And it wasn't that the stoppage was early or late. I I feel the stoppage was as appropriate as it could have been. My problem was the way that the referee handled the fucking situation. Cowboy got knocked down and was clearly out of it. Justin stopped and looked at the referee and the referee stood there and waited. Like a professional fighter, Justin hit him again. Cowboy was out of it again. Justin stopped the second time and looked at the referee who got down to his knee but didn't stop the goddamn fight. Cowboy was quite literally almost out on his feet twice and very much disoriented and not in the goddamn fight anymore. And the fucking referee stood there and waited to the extent that Justin threw his fucking hands up after he had put Cowboy to the mat a third time in a matter of five seconds. There's no fucking excuse for that. There's something to be said for a referee who's willing to give a fighter a chance to recover. This is not one of those situations. This isn't a situation where you had Dillashaw who got clipped and came in and was actively wrestling, which is his fucking background, to try and get himself a better position and recover, and the ref jumped in and stopped him when he was clearly coherent and working during the fight. This is not one of those situations. 
this is a situation where Cowboy was fucking out of it. Cowboy was essentially asleep on his hands crawling in the fucking octagon. And the referee let him take, I think, five more fucking shots to the point where Justin almost had to stop the goddamn fight for him. That's unacceptable on a fucking professional level. We can't have shit like that. That, in my opinion, is worse than an early stoppage. An early stoppage can be debated and the fight can be run back when everyone agrees the fight was stopped too early. When you talk about stopping a fight too late, you're talking about fucking brain damage and serious permanent injury to a fighter. Luckily, Gaethje recognized the situation and wasn't just going to fucking waylay on Cowboy, who was fucking out of it on the goddamn ground. But we shouldn't have to see a situation like that to begin with. These are supposed to be fucking professionals. Clearly, the fighters were. The referee, on the other hand, needs his fucking ass whipped. That's unacceptable. And as a fan, that hurt me to see Cowboy get fucking clobbered like that when he clearly didn't need anything after the first shot that rocked him and dropped him. The only thing I have to say to that is my hat's off to Gaethje at the end of the fight when they were doing the post-riot interview. He called the fucking referee out on it right a fucking way. As he should have. He's like, look, we weren't friends while we were in there. We were friends before it. We're friends now. But at the time of the fight, we're not friends. But still, I didn't want to hit my friend anymore. I was done. He shouldn't have had to hit his friend anymore. That should have been the end of it. He knew he's a professional. He knows when it's over. What the fuck was wrong with that referee? I think the worst part of that was, did anybody see who the referee was? Do they know that referee? The person who got drawn for that, not one of the UFC's regular refs, which was some bullshit. If you're going to put some uh, an inexperienced ref in there, put him in an undercard fight. So that way it's not some of your bigger stars. And yeah, better. so it doesn't ruin your fucking main event? Yeah, that, that was fucking ridiculous. If that dude ever refs in the UFC again, it'll be too goddamn soon. And I, I'll be surprised if he gets another I'm, gig. I'm not going to lie. He'll get another gig because I think he was a local um, ref on the Canadian scene, which perfectly all right because every city you go to, you get your normal refs that the UFC brings in, and then the state or county or country that you're in, right. they put in their own refs as well because it comes down to the business end of things. Right. But um, So, yeah, he'll get another gig somewhere else, but... Um, they better blackball that motherfucker from the UFC forever because that was fucking terrible. When you know everybody clear as day could see he was not fighting back. He was literally sitting there on all fours like his fucking dog waiting for a biscuit. The biscuit he was waiting for was for him to stop the goddamn fight. And he didn't even know he was waiting for that. Yeah, it was beyond disappointing. There's there's I, no fucking reason for that. Don't get me wrong. As far as the fight is concerned, look, the fight was brilliantly done by Gaethje. The cowboy was his normal self, slow starter, and that cost him. Yep. Yeah, Gaethje came out and did everything right to his credit. The problem, the only problem with that fight is the goddamn referee in this case, and just leave it at that. I really hope he does not ever rough again, just so there's no permanent damage done to any of those professionals. Look, these guys know there is always the risk of permanent injury when you walk. There's always that risk. Why? Because 
you're getting punched or kicked in the fucking head. It, it kind of comes with the job title. You're a fighter. Expect to get hit. Expect the possibility of injury. Sometimes strange things happen and there are injuries that you can't control that are going to happen because, uh, well, let's, let's go back, uh, was it one or two years ago? A guy catches a knee, crushes his skull. Look, yep. that comes with the fucking territory of being a fighter. But in situations like this where damage can be controlled by the ref and the fight stopped, that is fucking unacceptable. That is completely unacceptable, unprofessional, and fucking garbage. Period. That dude doesn't deserve to ref at that level ever again. You you lose all credibility when you do something like that. Period. I mean, that's quite literally a situation, and it's it's thrown around a lot, but this is the, the literal definition of the situation. You had one job. But moving along from that dumbass, let's talk about another pair of dumbasses. So it was announced during this week there have been two two-year suspensions added to the list of fuck-ups that we have got growing for 2019 so far. Last week we had a gentleman who was a professional soup can and got shown to be a professional soup can. And then after getting exposed and being a soup can, was exposed for being a fucking cheater and received a two-year suspension for multiple human growth hormones testing positive in an in-competition sample from both of his samples, the main and the backup. We had a pair of another, or another, excuse me, another pair of dumbasses announced this week for a pair of two-year USADA suspensions. The first one, not one you might have anticipated, but if you give it the sniff test, as they say, when you're looking at a fighter, there was definitely some questionable moments here, and uh, it turns out uh, Miss Sarah Froda, the UFC bantamweight, tested positive for not one, not two, but three different steroids from an out-of-competition sample and has subsequently been released from the UFC. She was not that great of a fighter to begin with, and now with not one, not two, but three three fucking steroids in her system, the UFC just went ahead and said, nah, you know what? We're good. You can go ahead and go. And then just as soon as they had got done announcing the release of Miss Frodo from the UFC, we got another announcement the same afternoon that one David Branch has been suspended for two years via USADA for testing positive with what seems to be the trend of 2019 for some reason, human growth hormones. That's the same thing that the gentleman last week tested positive for multiple different peptide human growth hormones. Mr. David Branch has then subsequently tested positive for one of the same substances to which it prompted a response from USADA. They are now going to start looking deeper into several different camps because they believe there is an issue with human growth hormone trying to be the new clear, as it were, uh, the new undetectable thing that folks are trying to use to get their illicit edge. Um, the clear, for the folks who don't know, almost ruined combat sports in the early 2000s 
mid nineties. It was the steroid to be on. And if you look back, most of your favorite ridiculously yoked fighters from the early two thousands don't look that way anymore. And there's a reason for that. I'm not going to say everybody, I'm not going to point out specific names, but there were, I really there were several predominant big stars who went from Hulk Hogan to the original version of Captain America before he got the serum. Like the USADA testing <laughs> pool has noticeably shrunken some famous large cut motherfuckers back to little wee men. So I don't understand why human growth hormone is the 2019 trend, but this is like the sixth or seventh guy this year, the second in two weeks that have gotten popped for human growth hormones. And it's not like Branch was on much of a tear to begin with, but uh, the only tear he's getting on now is the couch because he ain't getting back in that fucking octagon again till at least I think it's November of 2021 before he's even eligible to get back into the USADA testing pool to then try and get himself back eligible again for a fight. So, I mean, I, I, I suppose there's always going to be people trying to get an advantage in the fight game, but I mean, human growth hormone didn't work for Peyton Manning and it's not going to work for you champ. The only thing that's proven to do at this point is give you a larger than normal forehead. So I mean, eat your fucking Wheaties, take your vitamins, do your fucking workouts, but steer clear of the bullshit. Clearly, USADA and the UFC are not fucking playing. As we've had at least a name or two every week, almost all year long, of somebody getting cut from doing stupid shit like this. I don't know if we're going to see Mr. Branch around very much longer. He's already been released from the UFC once and then came back and has not been that stunning of a performer since he was taken back by the UFC this is one of those straws that as we can see in Miss Broda's case is clearly capable of breaking the camel's back so let's find out I, to be honest I don't I, if they bring back Branch for any reason they're fucking stupid he's always just been a middle of the road fighter look he yeah. did well away from the UFC which was enough for them to bring him back absolutely but he's never been high caliber uh, but he was always kind of that weird gatekeeper, which never really earned the gatekeeper role because he was never really good enough to be a right. gatekeeper. You know, fuck him. If you're going to do stupid shit, pay the price and um, get booted from the UFC. I agree. And speaking of dumbasses who are just loud and proud for some fucking reason. Uh, we had a, another press conference this week from the one and only snoremaster himself, Tyquil Woodley. Basically, he held his own press conference to announce that, quote-unquote, he's back. And proceeded to essentially talk a whole lot of shit about how he still feels that he's the greatest welterweight to ever grace the UFC. He's going to try start to go train with GSP and then proceeded to call out everyone from Nick Diaz to Conor McGregor, surprise, fucking surprise, to Khabib Nurmagomedov. So for the uninitiated, 
Khabib fights at 155 pounds and has said multiple times he will not be changing weight classes. He has no interest in pursuing multiple belts. He feels that 155 is his division. He's going to stay there until he chooses to retire, and that's all there is to it, which I think is part of the reason why the USC had no interest in making a fight between Khabib and GSP because GSP will never be able to get to 155. And if Khabib's not interested in going up, there's just no middle ground to work with there. But for Woodley to have the, I don't even know if it's the balls or audacity or just lack of fucking forethought, but for him to call out Connor, who has fought at 170 to his credit and did okay, but is a 155er, and then to call out Khabib, who he knows will not, under any circumstance, fight anywhere other than 155. It just, it reeks of Tyquil desperation to me. It seems like he's trying to get headlines back underneath him for something besides losing his fucking belt. And, you know, if if that's how you got to do it, good on you, but nobody believed you and nobody got hyped for your little fucking spiel. So, moving along from one dumbass doing dumbass things like he always does to another dumbass doing genuine genuine bona fide good things, which we're not necessarily used to. Um, after the match two weeks ago between Dustin Poirier and Khabib Nurmagomedov, they traded T-shirts like some fighters, like most fighters these days do. Um, Dustin then told Khabib that he was going to take the shirt that he gave him and his fight gear like he does every time and auction it off for his charity, The Good Fight, who is a partner of Justin Wren's Fight for the Forgotten, helping dig wells for the pygmies. Um, Khabib told him, I'm going to auction off the shirt that you gave me as well and then give the money to your charity to help you raise more money for your charity. Everybody just kind of nodded and, and you know, yeah, sure, sure, because a lot of fighters say that, but apparently not a lot of fighters actually fucking do that. Um, credit to Dustin for, for always looking out to his charity with all of his fight gear as soon as the fight is over. We got word this week that the initial goal for their charity for the good fight after this fight was to raise $30,000. They raised $32,000 after they had sold Khabib's shirt and the other incidents and, and meetups and stuff that Dustin and, and his family and his crew had done. After the fight, we come to find out that they had raised $32,000 on their own. And then they got a check from Khabib for $100,000. And then they got another check for another $100,000 because Dana vowed to match whatever Khabib donated to the good fight and was actually, for once, a man of his word and came through and followed up on a public promise like this Dustin's goal of $30,000 was blown out of the water and they raised $232,000 from the post-fight sales to help out the good fight and the fight for the forgotten and to help the pygmies dig wells. If you are at all interested in that, I absolutely encourage you looking up Dust, excuse me, Justin Wren's fight for the forgotten or Dustin Poirier's The Good Fight, either charity, they both partner up, they both work with the same uh, base companies to help dig wells in the Congo for the uh, pygmy people. Good on you, Dana White. Um, to a lesser extent, Khabib, but there's been some rumors coming out lately that 
Khabib just basically gave Dustin's shirt to a fucking oligarch over there who wrote him a check for the charity. There's some controversy surrounding Khabib's donation here. Yes, he gave 100K, but there's circumstances attached to that which are starting to come to light, which are a little questionable. So what I'm going to say is good on you, Dana, for actually following through on a public promise. He's made several promises similar to this in the past, and we haven't always seen him be the most reliable on following up on those. So I just wanted to take a moment and publicly say good on Dana for making good on his $100,000 promise to help out the charity. A couple little things I do want to mention real quick as we get down to the last of them here. Um, we did this week get some um, press, I guess we could say for lack of a better term, um, surrounding some of the upcoming cards. And we got a, a little bit of, I don't want to say it's disconcerting, but it's definitely something that a lot of people started scratching their heads and started thinking very serious over when we talked uh, or when we got the, the news. Rather, uh, what I'm talking about specifically is we got some news from Jacare Sosa this week. So uh, as you guys might have known last week, we were talking about it. Jacare is actually going to be making his Fourier into the 205 pound division up from 185, where he has reigned a constant threat for years and years and years. Just never quite achieving that gold status. We're at the point now where he is going to be moving up to 205, where he thinks he will be able to do a little bit better and possibly get a shot at the title. Best of luck to him. But we have now come to find out that after his last fight, after that loss, he suffered a basic complete mental breakdown to the extent where when he was going to the gym to help a friend of his train for his upcoming fight, he said he would literally spend the entire drive from his house to the gym just bawling, crying, and could not, in his own mind, understand what he was still fighting for and almost retired from MMA. And this is just within the last few months. And now we've got him not only getting back into MMA, but moving into new territory, coming against one of the realistic, most dangerous challenges he has seen in his career, in my opinion here, not only in then moving up, in coming up against a guy who is, for lack of a better phrase at this point, specializing in stopping guys from moving up. This is a very serious threat that he's got in front of him and to know that he's got such a, a serious mental condition going on just this recently and then still being willing to come into this realistically could be one of the toughest fights he's ever had in his life. It makes me wonder one, if we're going to see Jacare around much longer, but two, what kind of performance are we going to get from him when we see him in the octagon? If we actually see him make it to this fight, knowing that he's had this serious of an issue going on this recently with, with this fight coming up, you know, in two months, that's not something to be taken lightly and it's not something to be ignored either. This is a serious issue that we, we do need to keep an eye on here because this could be potentially the end of Jacare's career, not because of any physical injury, but because your mental status determines your ability to go on, period. And if he's out of the fight game enough to where he's crying, driving to the gym just to help a friend train with nothing of his own on the line, you really have to stop and wonder how much of his mentality is going to actually be in what could be the, the most dangerous fight he's ever had so far. 
you know, we've talked about this before with people in their mental status going into fights, and it never works out well for them. It never does. When you're starting to cast that shadow of doubt on yourself, it tends to go poorly. If you really have had that thought while you're driving just to the gym, you're not even you're going back and forth into the gym to train, you're having that thought of retirement, you probably should lay them down. Look, Jacques Ray's done amazing things in the sport. He really has. He's been a, a long staple between the UFC, Pride, uh, other organizations that he's fought in. And he's, a, he's, an, he's an OG of the sport, period. Where at this point, if he wanted to lay him down, I wouldn't have anything against it. And to know you're going in there against um, what I'm going to call the come-up killer. Fuck yeah. That's, that's not a, it's not an easy task. And your mind, hopefully you've got your fucking mind right. Because if you don't, it's time to take them gloves off at the end of that fight and lay them down in the middle. Um, barring you can still lay them down in the middle if you're not laid out. Or laying down, um, as it were. Right. Hopefully he gets his mind together, and hopefully it was just a fucking, it was just a fucking really bad fight. That's all it was, and that's what caused it, and he moves on from it. But we'll see. I mean, but as history has shown, people moving up to 205 from 185, not fucking turning out very well lately. Yeah, it's not having the result, and it's ironic because... We've been seeing a lot of people move up weight classes throughout the organization, throughout MMA as a whole, I would say, over the last year or two. It's really gotten to a point where the weight cutting is becoming less and less of a thing for the most part. By and large, fighters are starting to all gradually move up a class, sometimes two classes, and fighting more near their natural weight because they're realizing that diminishing your fucking body to get down that far is really only a trick that works for wrestlers for the most part in a wrestling match when you talk about combat sports the weight cuts not really doing you any favors anymore you're more susceptible for a knockout your gas tank is lessened your ability to cognitively think isn't where it should be and we're starting to see guys fight more towards their natural weight but for some reason the guys making that cut from 185 back up to 205 don't seem to be faring very well, and that's the path that Jacare's looking down for his next match. So it's going to be interesting to see how that shakes out. We're definitely going to want to keep an eye on that. Um, one more quick fight announcement I do want to mention before we move on here. Um, this one has interesting potential because of the styles of both of these gentlemen, but this is a perfect example of when the UFC decides that they're going to sink their toes in or sink their heels in rather and commit to something they fucking do because they announced today or excuse me, they announced yesterday that the 244 card for Madison Square Garden is getting another fight added to it here. This time they announced that we are going to see one Shane Burgos versus Marcon Amirkani. Uh, Ariel Hawani's absolute favorite Frenchman in the world, but a very, very exciting prospect as well. That's going to be a hell of a fight on a card that is already stacked with amazing fights. They are not fucking around when it comes to MSG in November. If you have plans for November, I believe it's November 2nd of November, cancel them. Scratch them off your fucking calendar. Tell somebody that you're already planning to be sick. This is a card you're not going to want to miss a single 
fucking fight on. They are stacking this card fluff free as of right now. So it's MSG. The baddest motherfucker in the game title is on the line. They are not playing. And speaking of baddest motherfucker in the game title on the line, the last little thing that I want to talk about in our news and recent events segment here, for those who didn't get a chance to watch at least some of the highlights of it, I encourage everyone to go back and watch one of the most, I will say, uneventful in a good way, but one of the most professional-looking press conferences for a fight the UFC has done in a long goddamn time happened this afternoon. The 244 press conference with the actual face-off for the first time of Nate Diaz and Jorge Masvidal. For the first time that I can actively remember since watching UFC, MMA, martial arts in general, we saw Nate Diaz at the announcement of his opponent do something I don't know that we've ever seen before, and it kind of took me back a little bit. When they announced Nate Diaz, he walked out, did his you know 205 thing, walked up to his spot. And then they announced Jorge Masvidal, and Nate Diaz took his hat off, set it down on the table, turned, and applauded for his opponent. I don't remember the last time we saw a Nate Diaz face-off where they announced the opponent, and Nate wasn't either flexing, giving the middle finger, or already just talking shit to the person as they were walking up. This new adult-acting Nate Diaz that we're starting to see here is... I'm not sure how to feel about this. I've been a fan of Diaz for a while, but this Diaz acting like a human being is not the Nate Diaz we're used to seeing, and it confuses me a little bit. I think this is the exception of policy fight, though. I I think uh, this is definitely going to be a thing. <laughs> I, I don't think it's going to be a permanent thing. I really don't. No, 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 no. I think it's going to be a thing for this this match. Yeah, this is it's a strictly this fight only. Look, um, I said it before the show. I'll say it again. This is them basically saying for the same reason there was not a lot of trash talk between them at all on this press conference. That's a game recognizes game or gangster recognizes gangster type situation. Right. They know what's up. They know they're going to come in and they're going to beat the shit out of each other. So they don't have a lot to say. They both recognize West Coast gangsters, East Coast gangsters, Florida gangster, whatever he wants to call himself. I think the only thing that blew me out of the water about the entirety of that... um, press conference today was one question in particular some dumb fuck in the back asked Nate Diaz how are you going to be the baddest motherfucker when you're a vegan and I I was like are you fucking kidding me of all these stupidest fucking questions you could be answering asking at a press conference you're going to ask that. I think my favorite question, though, is came from a one, another reporter who said, well, you gave so-and-so a three-piece in a soda. 
He gave Askarin a buffet. What are you feeding the Nate Diaz? Best question of the entire fucking press conference. Answer, meh, wasn't his best. I don't think he was ready for that question, but it, it was it was best question of the fucking press conference, in my opinion. I agree. And, and I think, for me at least, the best part about this whole press conference was Jorge Masvidal showed up in the white suit with red shirt straight out of fucking Scarface. He was channeling his inner Tony Montana when he came to this fucking press conference and he looked the damn part. Yes, he did with the butterfly fucking collars and everything. The whole flown away with those nine. bitches. Yeah, it was absolutely fucking perfect. I was I was very oh. surprised but pleased with it. That that reminds me. Oh, somebody asked him, where'd you get your inspiration from for the outfit today? And he said, if you don't know, somebody in the crowd educate that motherfucker. <laughs> I was I was very happy. I think I think 244 is shaping up to be probably the best card the UFC has built up in 2019 so far. Not because of any one particular fight. Obviously, the main event is going to blow the fucking year's roster away. But they are legitimately stacking that card to accommodate as well. That card is going to be all killer, no filler, top to fucking bottom. I'm finally happy with it. I think my favorite thing about that, the UFC finally made a card the fans want to see. Yes. With a fucking centerpiece that the fans actually want to see. Finally. I don't know how many times the fans press for fights and they don't fucking bite on them. Now they finally are going to bite on one and it's going to pay dividends. Maybe for those of us who are the real fans that are constantly voicing our opinions on these things, maybe they'll start taking note of other fights we really want to see that make sense. Just saying. This might be that changing of the guards because I'm guessing this gate that they're going to have on that it's probably going to be one of the highest gates that they've ever had at Madison Square Garden. I will guarantee it just by the fucking two that are up there on top right now. And if they decide to do something fucking retarded, like, oh, well, we're going to put a championship fight on this, and you guys can, I would be fucking furious. Dana, somebody asked Dana about that. um, It's either Monday or Tuesday. Um, You know, if there were any potential, you know, title fights that they could stick on this card to make it even bigger. To his credit, Dana said, we're going to add more fights to this card. We're not done yet, but we would never dream of putting a title on this card because we don't see any fight that we could possibly put together, even for a belt, that would be more important or bigger than Masvidal versus Diaz. So that will be the biggest fight on that card, and it might be one of the smartest things Dana has said in recent memory as well. I'm not going to lie. I'm ready to see what that belt looks like. Right. That's that's my only that's the only thing about this whole card, this whole situation that has me even the least bit apprehensive is that if you look at the new UFC belts, they're not the greatest. They're granted. It's the giant piece of fucking gold that says I won. So there's you know something to be said about that. But the old belt looked fucking classy. The new belt's kind of tacky looking. So. 
I think it's cool they're going to make a belt for this, but I'm a little apprehensive at what it's going to actually come out and end up fucking looking like. They don't exactly have the best design team working on the fucking fight kits and the new belt, in my opinion. So I'm hoping those two had a little say in it, too. I, I hope so as well, because I don't think there's any possibility that they would let some tacky bullshit come out. But I have a feeling that might be what we see, because Dana and the UFC are kind of fucking cheesy when it comes to little shit like that. Yeah. But there's no way to know for sure. So we're just going to have to wait and find out. That, though, will bring us to the meat and potatoes of this particular show. The reason we are doing this particular episode in general, that being this weekend's upcoming UFC Fight Night 196, Mexico City Rodriguez versus Stevens. So at this point, it almost doesn't need to be said, but I'm going to fucking say it anyway. We are getting a very fluffy card this weekend. Um, Such is the case most fucking weekends lately, but hopefully 244 starts to buck that trend because 244 has basically cut all the goddamn filler out and they are giving us just straight meat and fucking potatoes for that card. I'm hoping as we get closer to the end of the year, we're going to start getting more cards like that since there's not a whole lot of time left to get fights in the year and they're not really going to want to waste what little airtime they've got for the rest of the year on a whole lot more of these bullshit filler fights. So that being said, This is one of those cards where we almost have better fights on the prelims than we do on the main card. And that unto itself does not happen very often. But this is one of the few exceptions. Now, that being said, we're still not looking at a lineup full of fucking killer matchups. So I'm not going to break down every fight on this card. But there are a couple that I did want to mention here. One of the big things, though, we were talking about just before we went live here. This show is predominantly run by all the little folks, little guys and little girls. The biggest fight on this card, physically, is one of the prelim fights that we're not even going to get into here just because matchup-wise, it's not really that potentially exciting. Um, But it's a 205 matchup, and it's the only 205 matchup on the entire card Everything else on this card is between 170 and 125. The predominant bunch of them being the 135-145 bound range. So it's weird that a city like Mexico City, where we think of Kane and fucking JDS war, some of the greatest fucking heavyweight battles the UFC has ever put on, And now we're coming back and we're bringing all the little folks this time and not really any real notable names like the traditional Kane JDS matchups that we used to get in Mexico City. But what are you going to do? So we're going to start right at the Tivity Top on the prelims here. The first thing I want to mention, despite there being some interesting matchups, There's also some disappointing matchups. And what I mean by that is the first one that I want to take just a second to talk about, but I'm not going to break down, the Sejira-Eubanks versus Betchko-Hea matchup. 
this is a situation where they've got somebody who they thought was going to be something and never turned into anything and somebody who almost was something but just could never break out of mediocrity. And they're going to let the two of them fight, but I'm not really sure why. Eubanks is four and three. Kohea is 10, four and one. And neither one of them have done anything in the UFC besides getting their ass whipped worth noting. At this point, realistically, I know we say it a lot and it sounds kind of mean, but let these ladies go fight in Bellator. Let them go over to fucking PFL. Let them, you know, get a chance to go be a big fish in some other pond because it's just not going to happen in the UFC. Um, next fight after that, that I do want to mention that we're not going to talk about again here, is the light heavyweight fight that I was just talking about a second ago here. Vinicius Mojea versus the Bear Jew Paul Craig. Um, this is another one of those, there's potential for it to be possibly interesting, but stylistically, matchup-wise, ranking-wise, it just, as Dana would say, isn't a needle mover. So we jump along. Then we go to the next fight here, which has actually changed twice since I made my original set of notes for this fight. Um, it was originally going to be Sergio Pettis, and then they replaced the first gentleman they had matched him up with. The replacement was going to be Sergio Pettis versus Alex Perez, which is an interesting matchup for the 135-pound division. Um, or excuse me, the 125-pound division. Uh, then something happened. Uh, Mr. Perez was removed from the fight. Now we're getting a late-minute replacement. We've got Sergio Pettis taking on Tyson Nam. This fight could be very interesting. But again, with these last-minute matchups like this, there's no way to know for sure. So Sergio is definitely trying to get back into the important side of the UFC's rankings coming off of a very, very, you know, controversial loss, but three opponents in a matter of, I think it was two and a half weeks, two weeks since they've changed this up, that throws your whole fight game off. That throws your training off. It's going to be interesting to see how Sergio handles getting all this fight shake up in front of him. Fingers crossed, wishing him the best, but at this point, who fucking knows really about this match? Yep. Took words right out of my mouth on that one. <laughs> you get that many changes at that point, it's like going into a blind sparring session. Right? Except for you actually have to throw hard now. Right, and there'll be cameras. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's a that's a shit show for anybody that especially especially somebody of Sergio Pettis' caliber. He's a fantastic fighter. He's in my eyes, he's better than his brother. Absolutely, like don't get me don't get me wrong. His brother is fantastic in his own right and has done amazing things for the sport. But Sergio is still a lot younger and has a lot more potential. And that last fight of his, that I, I don't want to talk about that because that still yeah. kind of irks me. But I, either way, I I don't know. I think the only reason he took the fight is just so he could get the paycheck at this point because he's already there. Not a whole lot we can do about it at this point except for suck it up, buttercup, make my paycheck, and right. go home. Well, and at this point, hopefully it will be a lighter match, not necessarily because it's been such a fuck show of just constant 
you know, opponent replacements, but because with it shaking out the way that it has, this clearly isn't going to be as important of a matchup as it originally was when they had went second to lead originally, when it was moved, I should say, to uh, Sergio versus Mr. Perez. That was going to be a spectacular matchup that legitimately had potential shakeup in the rankings moving up the 125-pound division. That one I was genuinely excited for. Both of those gentlemen have potential to put on a, a great matchup against each other. At this point, you kind of got to at least hope that Sergio is more along the lines of looking at this as getting paid to have a sparring session in front of some fans and, and the cameras. Well, or a tune-up fight, as it were. Right, exactly. And, yeah. I, and I'm praying to, God that he, praying to God he doesn't do something stupid and get caught or something like that. Because right. then that really fucks him, but Eh, it's it's not even what I want to talk about. Once they've mixed, once that's happened at that point, and it's been three changes in a matter of just a couple of weeks. Yeah. What's the fucking point? Yeah, at this at this point, it's he's basically getting paid to spar in front of the crowd. Which, coming off that fucking bad fight that we're not going to talk about, I think he could absolutely use a, a breeze. So, hopefully, this just works out as a, a nice, easy light work evening for Sergio here. Um, moving along to the next fight that I want to talk, the other one I want to talk about here on the prelims here, the uh, premier fight, as it were, the, the headliner for the prelims, I guess you could say. Um, one, Jose Alberto Quinones with one of the greatest fucking mustaches in the UFC versus one Carlos Joaquin. Now, Neither one of these gentlemen really have a whole lot of experience in the UFC, so it's a little difficult to make a big prediction about a fight like this. You kind of have to look at this as an up-and-coming mover-shaker kind of uh, free-for-all, if you will. Neither one of these gentlemen are really high on the prospect list moving up, but neither one of them are complete soup cans either. We've seen Joaquin have potential. We've seen Quinones come out there and just be an absolute slick shit fucking killer but they're both still green enough in the UFC that we don't really know how either one of these guys are going to shake out. So I think this actually is probably one of the most perfect uh, premier prelim fights that they could have put together based on what we've got from this card, because being down in Mexico, either one of these gentlemen could potentially take that crowd and just make it into a great prelim fight. Um, neither one of them really have enough experience in the UFC for me to feel comfortable making a, an assertive decision. In my opinion here, I do think both of them have a bright potential future with some momentum coming off of a good show in Mexico this weekend though. So I definitely think that it's going to be obviously not the best fight on the card, but I think this could be where the momentum starts to shift from fluff session down in Mexico to, okay, we're getting into an actual sense of a fucking fight card now. And, I'm hoping these two gentlemen both put on a good show because from everything I've seen from both of them, they've got potential to give us some entertainment, just maybe not the biggest event of the year, the biggest fight of the evening. I think my favorite thing about this fight is that the UFC is finally doing the right thing with a future prelim fight. Right. They're putting guys in here who have potential, who have a little bit of UFC experience, and they're giving them their own spotlight. And I say spotlight loosely because there's still more fights after them, but it's a free a feature prelim fight, so they're a feature fight, and this is where those type of fighters belong, um, versus what we've seen put in some of these um, feature prelim fights where you're going, why are you putting this here and not on the main card? 
But this, this for me, this is a fantastic fight as a feature prelim. It's not necessarily, oh my God, you have to see this fight, but this is definitely a good way to get eyeballs on there and get people hyped up and get a hype train moving behind these guys. Um, whether they're deserving of it or not, we'll find out on Saturday. But uh, right. I think it's just it's a fantastic way to put those up-and-comers into a feature spot without putting them on the fucking main card where they don't belong. But, you know, with as much fluff as we've had lately, I understand why they put some fluff on the main cards because they've all been fluff. So. Right. But this one actually makes probably, out of all, every fight on the card that I looked at, this one makes the most sense to be that feature prelim fight. So excited to see what they do with their um, their spotlight on them. Uh, for those of you that are just listening and not watching, I did do air quotes there um, for their spotlight. But, yeah, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. Um, we'll see what happens. And uh, hopefully one of them outshines, although I will have to agree with you. That dude has a mystical mustache. It is fantastic right? it's, it's I'm a, <laughs> kind of a connoisseur of the facial hair myself so I do enjoy seeing a nice fucking well groomed fucking beard or stash stuff so make it look classy don't make yourself look homeless that's all I'm saying right absolutely and this is absolutely a case of that being done with style so definitely hats off to the gentleman for that as well now this will bring us to the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes of this particular episode here. This will bring us into the main card for the evening. Now, the interesting thing about the main card of this evening, you guys have heard me say it before. I'm going to say it again, but this is a perfect example of what I'm talking about here. When we go to do our research for fights like this, Obviously, one of the first places you want to go, being is that this is a UFC fight, is to the UFC website. You would assume, based on the fact that the UFC are the ones putting on this show, they would have the most up-to-date information. It's their fucking show. It's their fighters. You would think they would want to tell you what to look forward to, what you can expect here. More often than not, lately, that is not the case. Um, I, I complain about it once in a while when they get some stats wrong or when they get the, uh, uh, I believe the, the most common way we refer to it as is the fighter has not unlocked his character just yet status. When you've got a matchup and then you've got a picture of one person you're expecting in the matchup and then just a grayed out silhouette of their opponent. They took it a little further this week and I, I wanted you guys to be able to understand why I complain so much about this particular thing because obviously doing this show is, is a pretty good example of how fucking crazy of a fan of mixed martial arts that I am but I, it's not just UFC it's not just Bellator it's not just jujitsu or striking it's it's MMA as a whole that I'm a fan of and when I see lazy bullshit it just gets to me and I understand that I say it a lot about the UFC, but I wanted you guys to understand why I say it a lot. And we've got a picture here. If I could get my behind the scenes assistant to give me a hand throwing this over. When I was doing my research for this particular episode, the first fight I want to talk about is Vanessa Mello versus Irene Aldana. 
The problem is, if you look at the picture that we've got on the screen here, this is directly from the UFC's website. You can see the address bar at the top. I wanted to make a point to crop that in so you guys could see. But if you look at what we're looking at here, one, they don't have a single fucking stat for four of an SMLO. But the most important part here is the lazy assholes running the UFC website 48 hours out from the fucking event that we are talking about have the profile holder for poor Vanessa Mello as a generic grayed out dude. This is about as lazy of some bullshit as you can get to. Now, I'm a hardcore fan. I'm going to watch regardless. Obviously, we're doing a show about it, so we're going to give you our thoughts on it. But this is an example of the kind of shit that I complain about that I wanted you guys to understand. The UFC fucking website. We're not talking about ShareDog. We're not talking about some fucking random asshole's website where he puts his opinions, kind of like I do here. We're talking about the official fucking website of the Ultimate Fighting Championship for the Ultimate Fighting Championship event they are hosting this weekend. I'm not sure if everyone is aware of how this works, but during fight week, the week leading up to the event, all the fighters are to be, it's not necessarily a rule that they have to be, but it's encouraged for press sake, for adjustment to the uh, different environment's sake. Most of the time, the fighters are in the city that the fight is going to take place in about a week out, sometimes a little further than that to adjust. But one of the things they do during that fight week is have the fighters come in and try on the equipment that they will be wearing, the clothes, the outfit, the gloves, the whole nine yards, the equipment they will be wearing for the event that weekend. And if need be, take updated fucking pictures. Now, being as how this event is 48 hours from now, and I can pretty much guarantee you they have already been through said fitting. They have already had the opportunity to take said pictures. Why the fuck would you not update said website? Usa. But the first fight we're going to talk about tonight on the main card is just that. Irene Aldana versus Vanessa Mello. Now, the problem with this matchup is that Vanessa Mello is a brand new to the UFC. Still greener than spinach green up and coming prospect now that's not to say she doesn't have potential we've said it before we'll say it again if you're in the ufc you have done something to get yourself that chance the problem is irene aldana is on a tear with the exception of a very very bad loss that she's coming off of that nobody saw coming broken clock still right twice a day so you just got to take that for what it is and move on but I think this is a situation where the UFC might not have the most faith in Aldana, and they're kind of giving her a chance here for, for lack of a better term, a redemption fight, to get yourself back into that exciting column, to get a nice win under your belt. And I think it's going to be just that. No disrespect to Vanessa Mello, but I think this is a situation where, as fucked up as it is, not having a profile picture on the UFC website might actually be a little bit beneficial because this fight is kind of 
in my opinion, a, a showcase for Aldana to really get herself back into that momentum column where she's looking to start climbing the ranks in that division here. I think Aldana takes it. I don't think it's going to be a real terribly spectacular fight. I think it's going to be more entertainment for a little segment here than it will be for the fight. But I, I wanted to make a point to, to give this little thing on how crazy the bullshit with the UFC's website can be for the uninitiated. To be honest, this is a filler fight, in my opinion. Look, Donna deserves to be on the card. She's from Mexico. Um, that's the only reason she's on the card right now. Period. Basically. Basically. Uh, unfortunately, Mello, um, who is apparently a male, um, somehow managed to get the first male-female fight before um, Triple C, Trinchudo, and got to it, so um, apparently somebody beat him to the punch. <laughs> but, um, no, this, to be honest, in, in my opinion, this is, it's just a filler fight as well as a tune-up after that loss that she suffered to Raquel Pennington. But, um, I don't have a lot to say about this fighting. Donna, she was on a tear. She beat some really good women in the division up until she ran into a uh, strangely fucking good Raquel Pennington out of nowhere. But um, I think it's just going to be a tune-up fight for her. And just like any fight that's done outside of the United States, they try to fill it with fighters from the local area. That's three, and she's on the card. But, yeah. Uh, she's going to end up taking the fight. I don't think it's going to be in any spectacular fashion of, oh, my God, fight of the night, or, oh, my God, fucking knockout of the night. That's highly doubtful. But uh, definitely a good tune-up fight. Get her back in the win column and move it back in the right direction. Uh, for Melo, this is a rough welcome to the UFC. I agree. So now, as we have mentioned, this card is full of filler to the extent that uh, really that filler fight didn't deserve as much accolades as it, as it got. But due to the situation, we wanted to make a point to talk about it and obviously show you the UFC website's fucking shenanigree. Um, if you look at this card and you see the UFC's website on the card as a whole, this is not the only situation where we've got a placeholder for a name. So like I said, we're not going to spend too much time breaking down the rest of this card. The next fight that I'm going to talk about here is actually the, and I use this term loosely, co-main events. Um, Talk about a filler card, or a filler fight, rather. A placeholder fight on a card. Carla Esparza versus Alexa Grasso. I'm not going to sugarcoat this. Carla Esparza hasn't been shit since the division was created. Yes, she has had some pretty good fights in her time in the UFC. None of them really spectacular. It, it's very apparent when you go back and, and watch her fight reel why she never actually had a chance to be the belt holder in that division. Um, strawweight is not anything to be taken lightly. It, it Bantamweight gets the most attention on the women's side of the house on the UFC for the most part because the bigger ladies generally tend to hit harder. The action tends to be more exciting over there. 
the 125 pound, the, the flyweight ladies, now that Valentina is there and reigning supreme, are definitely starting to catch more attention. 145 was never really a thing. It doesn't really get a whole lot of attention for a reason. But strawweight is, and for my money, has been predominantly where the best fights in my eyes are on the ladies' side of the house. Not because of the knockouts, but because these smaller ladies, in my opinion, are more technical. They're more aggressive and they're more level-headed with their fighting. It's not just that they're being aggressive. It's that they're being intelligently aggressive for the most part. The problem is sometimes in being intelligently aggressive, you're unintelligently being defensive. You can't just be go, go, go all the time. And the problem is, is that's generally what we see with Carla Esparza. She's not known for being a real great fighter off the back foot or being elusive in her striking. She's, for the most part, known for being a girl who will come straight at you and bring it straight to you, but not necessarily the most technical, not in the most diverse way with the striking, not the most you know well-rounded fight style to come at you with. Kind of like a little female Justin Gaethje. She's not necessarily known for being the most technical, even though she has the potential to be so. The difference here is that Gaethje is 50-50, if not a little better, on the win side. Esparza's not quite up to that standard here, even though she's 14-6 and six now. If she loses this weekend, that puts her at an even... 500 as a pro not just in the UFC but as a pro overall 500 as a pro no real big wins to speak of in your history and then coming up against a up-and-coming prospect in Alexa Grasso who has shown spectacular potential in her few outings that we've seen her in granted maybe not the best like I said she's also still an up-and-coming prospect I think this is going to be a bad matchup for Carla now there is always the possibility that the UFC sees things completely opposite to the way that I see them. They see it as Carla is still a very vibrant threat and they are throwing a new girl to her to see if she can fend off some of the newbies and establish her place as, you know, a genuine, you know, poured in the far excuse me, poured, forged in fire UFC ladies combat veteran. I just don't think that's what we're going to see though. This to me kind of feels more like we're going to get a passing of the torch kind of moment and a girl in Esparza who has been there since the UFC created this division fought for the inaugural title in this division, but just has never quite lived up to the potential that it seemed like she should have had. And then on the other side of the octagon, we've got an up and coming hungry young prospect in Alexa Grasso. I think this is going to be a night where we're going to see Esparza start to take her step out the door here. I don't think this is going to be, any kind of a spectacular performance from Esparza because she hasn't really given us a reason to expect to see something like that. I think this is going to be a situation where Carla's going to come out looking like she wants it. And then as soon as the fight starts, we're going to see that she just really doesn't that we've got up and comers who are hungrier than the seasoned vets who have been here and never made the most of their opportunities. I think Grasso is going to take this one. I think it's going to be a chance for her to kind of send the old guard out to the pasture and, Maybe wrong, but uh, I think this might be one of the last times we see Esparza in 
a big main card co-main event type of situation here because I don't think she can capitalize on it. And I think at this point in the career, if she can't capitalize on the big spotlight of a co-main event, I don't see her getting any more of them. Well, hmm. for me, I honestly, when I look at this fight, I see two things. Um, uh, the first thing, both of them have lost to a one miss Tatiana Suarez. Both of them got their asses royally handed to her, and for good reason. Oh, um, if I'm not mistaken, both of them are coming off of wins. Um, Alexa Grasso has the more impressive last fight, though, against Carolina Kovalkiewicz. Albeit win by decision, it was a win, and that's a tough fight. Oh, as far as uh, she fought a nobody here last week. No offense to fighters she's fighting because she made it to the big leagues, but again, since the thing, she was a fucking nobody. Now, with that being said, MMA math doesn't mean shit. Yes, they both lost to Tatiana Suarez, but Tatiana Suarez outclassed both of them and would still continue to do so. Um, Let's say this year is I really do think Carlos Barza has fallen into the old guard category, the, the gatekeeper, if you will, for a female's division. I think this might be, as you said, this might be her one last chance to make that big push. Um, if, if she doesn't get it done here with a fucking new up and comer, It'll be the last that we see of her unless something all of a sudden clicks. She changed camps. Some Something crazy. Uh, Alexa Grasso, on the other hand, she's got a lot to lose here. Because um, this is that point, and uh, this is the make-or-break point in your career, I think, for Alexa Grasso. Really because she's coming up against the OG of the 115-pound division, somebody who's been here since the beginning of it. It's time to shine, or if you're not going to shine, back in the fucking mind you go again. Uh, to be honest, this is a no-win situation for both of them if they, either one of them loses. It's not anything that's going to make any huge fucking divot in the 115-pound division, in the women's division there. there nobody's going to climb fucking six ranks from this fight. Nobody's going to climb three ranks from this fight. It's, to be honest, this, in my opinion, was another filler fight, albeit both of these women still ranked in the top 10. It's still, for me, this is kind of a, oh, uh, we needed a co-main event. We sh couldn't book a heavyweight fight um, to make it worthwhile, so we'll throw this in here because these are the two highest ranking people we have that are fighting each other currently. And then we're on the other part of that, yes. We have Alexa Grasso from Mexico. There's got to have a Mexico person on the card, co-main event, main event, dotted and scattered all over the card because we're in Mexico. Perfectly fine. I understand that. That's how they run ever since they've done everything outside of the UFC or outside of the United States, excuse me. Um, it's funny. I don't know that I can call a winner on this because, to be honest, well, you know what? I'll call a winner. I think it's going to be Alexa Grasso, but purely on one fact alone. 
hometown advantage. Neither one of their last two fights looked like they were an all-dominating force. And then the fights they had before that were both against Tatiana Suarez, and both of them got fucking just annihilated. So to be honest, this is a tough fight to call for me. Uh, I'm just going to say Alexa Grasso purely because of hometown advantage and probably wanting it more at this point. I don't think Cookie Monster gets it done here. I think she got to go back to the cookie jar and rethink um, training, um, find a different gym, something, get a different fire lit under her ass because she just the fire has been extinguished for quite some time. And we've been able to see that with this up and down notion. Look, Alexa Grasso, yeah, she's had a setback fighting Tatiana Suarez, but so did Carla Esparza. And Tatiana Esparza is by no means a fucking slouch. There's a reason why she's one of the kingpins in that division right now. This one, it's going to have to be Alexa. Excuse me. Alexa here, because it's just the hometown advantage, and I think she wants it more. There's still more of a fire because she's the, still the newcomer in the division. I agree. I agree. So, that being said, I didn't want to waste time earlier. So, we're going to go now, before we get into the meat and potatoes that is the meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes in the meat and potatoes segment here, we're going to bring up a little palate cleanser, if you will. We're going to get down to the casual corner here. We're going to take just a moment before we just absolutely shred this last little morsel of fat here. We're going to let our good friend, Miss Lumi, come in and give us her thoughts on what this card looks like for her. I don't even have to reset the, the screen. Oh, wait, hold on. Oh, wait, problems. <laughs> First world problems, I tell you. Okay, so, honestly, I don't think this episode even deserved a casual corner, so instead you're going to get a casual fucking rant. <laughs> we'll take it. That's what you're getting. I feel, oh my god, oh, I can't even begin to understand what the fuck is going on in life because I am just getting into this and I've heard it. I've heard it so many times. Do a couple fights maybe once a month, twice a month, so you don't have so much fluff. Here I am every fucking week getting excited for a Saturday show, go to do my little bit of research for I'm No Joe, and look at the two main fights at the end. And it was shit. Absolute shit. I've turned into a tree hugger because I feel ashamed that I wasted a piece of paper on writing these motherfuckers' name on it. I didn't even use two pieces of paper. I fucking wrote on the backside because it was so fucking pitiful. I didn't want to waste another sheet of paper on this fucking crap. Get your shit together. Side note, super necessary for, for Mosfidal to bring back the super necessary shirt. I will challenge you. To a tickle fight because I, I won't do anything in an actual fisticuffs so I challenge you to a tickle fight if you don't bring back that super necessary shirt you watch this tickle your ass okay so now getting into the um pepper maybe we could go for seasoning because this isn't even meat potatoes you can't call this meat and potatoes this is like no because seasoning makes meat and potatoes meat and potatoes i don't even know what the fucking shit 
fights coming up. We're gonna go start with the chicks. I don't know much about these chicks, but I do my little research and I look through the stats and it just doesn't look like it's going to be all that productive. Like seriously, win by only 20% KO for Carla and 36 TKO or KO TKO for Alexa. That's that's disappointing. Matter of fact, 64% of Alexa's fight go to decision. 53 for Carla and that's that's not a fight I want to see. Not impressed. I hope it doesn't go to decision, which I feel like it will. I feel like you're just going to be watching two chicks running from each other the whole time. I hope that's not the case. Please do prove me wrong. Please do. Ah. Uh, I don't even want to look at the stats anymore. I'm not giving my opinion, because I'm not looking forward to this fight. Going to the main card. The, the, like, the, the main card of the shitness. Can we come up with something for shit cards instead of meat and potatoes? Because this is still not meat and potatoes. The finale... I mean, it's it's, it's kind of like a, a fast food meal more than an actual meat and potatoes kind of meal. It's like a, a McBurger and shit fries. Let's compare it to this. It's fucking a New York strip versus a hamburger steak. There you go. All right, we're getting on to the mad cow disease of the mad cow disease. <laughs> year, 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 whatever, however you want to mention your name, I'm sorry. I fail at being a barista. Starbucks is not in my future. Um, just on principle, I've seen on Instagram because I follow. You getting your ass kicked and elbowing somebody in the face is a last minute win? It looked kind of like it wasn't even planned. How'd, like, I excel at this, and when I do it, it's actually adorable. We call that, how'd you fuck up so good, Lumi? It wasn't adorable. But then you go over to Jeremy, and I always try to find out something interesting, something likable about the people, and that's who I normally root for. But I couldn't even do that, because... I'm a shallow bitch, and I couldn't help but to notice that he has a biblical tattoo on his arm, but then below his belly button has, like, a male escort, prostitute, man-whore kind of tattoo. So, again, I don't even want to give my opinion on these guys. Fuck them. Fuck them. I'm ready for the badass motherfucker belt, and it's super necessary to get my shirt for that. That's your casual corner. Absolutely. Much appreciated, ma'am. I understand and both am excited and apologetic for this weekend's car. <laughs> but we appreciate your two cents, ma'am. Thank you very much for your time. So, with our casual corner under wraps, we will get to the chunky fucking grizzle that is left on the goddamn plate of this meat and potatoes of the meat and potatoes segment in our meat and potatoes segment of the meat and potatoes portion of this show something in my tooth there it's some shitty leftovers the main event for this card Yair Rodriguez 
versus Jeremy Little Heathen Stevens. It's not the first time, and it's not going to be the last time you hear it. But every fucking time I look at this main event, the only thing I can think of is a, a certain... Uh, I wouldn't call it a je ne sais quoi, but it's uh, the most memorable thing you can get from Jeremy would be something along. Who the fuck is that guy? Those lines, I would say. Um, the most notable thing in Jeremy's miserable fucking career to date has been getting called out by Conor McGregor for talking shit. Jeremy, in my opinion, is really just the 145-pound version of Aluminum Mike Perry. He's going to come in there. He's going to swing with every fucking thing he's got on every shot he throws. But it's not technical. It's not pretty. It's not graceful. And it's generally not a winning strategy. And then you look across and you talk about not generally having the winning strategy Yair Rodriguez is one of those guys who came in on an absolutely monu-fucking mental hype train and has not lived up to a fucking bit of it in my eyes. The biggest thing that Yair Rodriguez to date is known for is a literal 4 minute 59 second last round Hail Mary of all Hail Marys, the oh shit up elbow that he managed to throw at the absolute literal last second in a fight where the Korean zombie was handing this guy his ass on a platter. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. And that's the situation where we see Yair's highlight reel catching the Korean zombie for one of the most insane and undeniably fucking lucky shots the UFC might have ever fucking seen. We've said it before. We'll say it again. If you're in the UFC, you have done something to warrant getting yourself there. But this is a situation where, in my opinion, the main event for the main card could have just as easily been the feature prelim battle, and no one would have been disappointed. This is a situation where they could not put together a good card in Mexico, even with a bunch of native Mexican fighters on the card, and just could not scramble together to get a respectable main event. This is not going to be a terribly big fight. This is not going to be a terribly exciting fight, and I don't think this is going to do much for either one of these gentlemen's career. This fight does not have a huge shakeup in the featherweight division because like it or not, neither one of these two hold a fucking candle to the greatest featherweight we have ever seen, Max Holloway, who still currently and will, in my opinion, until he decides not to anymore, reign fucking supreme over the 145-pound division. We have seen time and again, Max can and will take anyone in featherweight and fucking dismantle them. It does not matter how good they looked previously when you step in the octagon against max at 145 you will see every hole in your fucking game and we've seen it with the best of the best at 145 neither one of these two are the best of the best 
at 145. Max would absolutely have a field day beating the shit out of either one of these two, in my opinion. So this isn't even really a main event that has a lot of repercussions or a lot of impact on the division itself. That being said, it's the fight that we've got. So the way that I see it, Yair just isn't as talented as he was made out to be. He's absolutely lucky. We'll give him that. That's undeniable. That fucking elbow confirmed. The guy can get a lucky shot, but he's not as talented as he may have led us to believe, in my opinion. But Jeremy Stevens is kind of a a, a very aluminum Mike Perry slash Justin Gaethje-esque fighter in that even though he might not be the most technical, he's going to lean his fucking head down. He's going to bite down on his mouthpiece, and he's going to keep coming forward at you here. There's something to be said about guys who can keep that constant forward momentum pressure on you, and there's something to be said about guys who just don't respond well to that. Yair does not generally respond well to being pressured constantly, and the other thing we have to keep into consideration for this fight is that Yair has almost no chin. We have seen him rocked and put into questionable positions several times from just glancing or grazing shots. To his credit, Jeremy can pack one hell of a punch for a 145-pounder. I think that's basically what this is going to come down to because I don't think that Yair is big enough or strong enough to have his way with Stevens and try and make this more of a grappling battle to wear him out. And... Stevens does not have the knockout power per se to just go in and flatline Yair. But I think Stevens has good enough striking and enough power against Yair's already proven weak chin and lack of overall ability in game planning. I think Jeremy's going to come away with a very ugly, possibly even judge's decision win to take this one here, but I don't think it's going to be the main event that people want. And I don't think it's going to be as exciting as we could hope for, but I think we're going to get a fight. It's kind of the best way I can describe it. I don't think it's going to be great. I don't think it's going to be memorable. I think we're going to get a fight. Um, Let's start here. Even a blind squirrel finds a nut once in a while. In this case, that blind squirrel is Yair Rodriguez. The only reason he has this main event right now is because of him finding that nut while he was blind. That is the dumbest, luckiest, stupidest fucking thing I've ever seen in my life. Don't get me wrong. It was amazing to see, but I was fucking pissed. I was fucking pissed at the end of that fight. The Korean zombie literally dismantled him and showed that his hype train, there was no train to begin with. At best, it was a kiddie ride at your county fair with a couple of kids packed in there that looked like their parents couldn't barely afford housing, but they managed to scrounge enough for the um, pay one price wristband for the day for them. He's that kind of fighter, in my opinion. I, the hype train that's behind him is fucking ridiculous. Now, across from this, we have a Jeremy Stevens. Now, 
there was a point in his career where he looked like he had fantastic potential. I think part of that is that bite down on the mouthpiece and keep driving forward. He had a good string in there. Lately, he's been a little wishy-washy. However, there's one thing I do have to disagree with you on slightly. For 145-pound division, he does have one-punch knockout ability. We've seen it before. Doesn't mean it's going to happen, but he does have it. And with his poor of a chin as Rodriguez has, I'm pretty sure that this fight doesn't go the distance because he – Part of this is me being cynical because I'm still pissed that Yair caught the luckiest shit I've ever seen in my life when the Korean zombie should have had that fight won. But, you know, that goes there, puncher's chance, MMA math shit out the window. Uh, But this may partially be me being cynical, but on the other side of this, I really think just based on chin alone and what we've seen him get rocked with, I think Jeremy Stevens puts him away. With the forward pressure, fighting down on that mouthpiece, knowing that Yair is not good at handling constant pressure, we're going to have an upset in Mexico or some upset um, people from Mexico because um, their main event is going to end up losing via knockout or ground and pound because he's downed him with one shot and finishes him on the ground. And I don't think it goes later than second round. Because that's where you see that about middle of the second round, to late second round, that's where you see Jeremy Stevens. He has 10 CD. His power curve really drops at around that time. So I figured no later than the end of the second round, he wins this fight via stoppage. Whether it's via KO or TKO from ground and pound, that's going to end up going down with this fight. Now, is it a needle mover for me? Fuck no. However, for me, is it a little bit of a revenge fight for me to watch? Yes, because I want to watch Yara get his fucking head knocked off. After that bullshit, but you know what? I have to give it to him. He threw up a Hail Mary, and it found the fucking end zone. So good on it. But, um, you know, with that kind of fucking luck in that fight... There's no way you can pull the fucking rabbit out of that twice once you've already told everybody the trick. It just doesn't work that way. Everybody's going to see through it. Uh, they should have seen through it after the end of that fight because he looked like dog shit afterwards. So, um, okay. In the second round, Jeremy Steven takes just purely on the fact that he's going to bite down on the mouthpiece, take his licks, but he's going to come in there swinging for the goddamn fences, and that's all it's going to take. Because yeah, here is not that good of a fighter to be able to deal with that kind of pressure. Is this going to do anything for Steven's career? Yeah, it'll give him one more fight in the UFC. No. Yair, is it going to do anything for him if he wins? No, not at all. He's fighting a um, right now what I would call a mediocre at best Jeremy Stevens. You gotta fucking. You literally only have this fight, Yair, as a main event fight because of the luckiest dumb shit anybody has ever seen in their fucking life. I could play that for people who are not MMA fans, that fight. They would look at it and go, that is the luckiest son of a bitch alive. 
dude should have bought a goddamn lottery ticket instead of fighting that night. He'd have probably been a fucking billionaire. He would have made way more than he was fucking fighting that night. But nonetheless, I don't have anything else to say about this other than um, the dog has uh, the dog has had the sunshine on his ass. Now he's about to take a nap. I will say the only thing, and it's not even really a good thing, the only silver lining, I guess I should say, to the absolute ridiculous bullshit of Yair pulling off that fucking Hail Mary last second up elbow that caught Korean zombie. And it's, I don't even know that it's really a silver lining. It's the only good outcome, I, I should say, that we've seen from that fight is that now we're looking at a potential matchup later on in the fall of Korean Zombie versus Brian Ortega, which I think would be an absolutely fucking spectacular battle. But I, I completely agree that this is not that fight. And I do have to say that there's something a little disheartening about the UFC in this particular card, the co-main event is the number nine versus number eight. The main event is number eight versus number seven. So like I said, this card overall doesn't have a whole lot of actual impact on the divisions respectively that they're fighting in. So we've kind of just, we've got a another filler card really that's just got to hold us over until we can make our way to Australia in two weeks. Um, next week's Hermanson versus Cannoneer card is going to be much like the card we're looking at today. A whole lot of filler, not much thriller. So we will have an episode to talk about that next week, but it's probably going to be very similar to this week in that we don't have a whole lot on that card to get excited about, but that does still get us this much closer to 243 down in Australia. Adesanya versus Whitaker, which is going to be a fucking spectacular fight. They are also properly building that 243 card up very nicely as well. But that's all we've got for this particular episode here. We've got what we've got. We're just going to have to tune in and see if hopefully maybe we can get surprised by some of the shit that we've got on this UFC Mexico card. But I'm not that optimistic. Not with this particular card. I'm just, I'm looking at this as one of the things that we've got to put ourselves through to get us that much closer to some of the real good cards we've got later on this, this, this fall coming up here. So before we get out of here, I do want to take just a moment here. And if the folks have not gotten enough just yet, and they want to know how they can combine the interesting facts of Green Bay football and MMA how is somebody going to be able to get a hold of you and get educated, TJ? Wednesday nights, 9.30 Central, right here on the YouTubes. This name right here. Oh, you can also find me on the Instagrams. Um, email, same at gmail.com, Vapes. Other than that, I don't do a whole lot of social media, so yeah hit me up in an inbox you'll more than likely get a reply don't go looking for me to be posting a lot of shit because i don't do social media uh, albeit from the youtube thing this is the only exception to policy that is a regular occurrence every wednesday every thursday that i can possibly make i'm right fucking here yeah been fantastic except for the lackluster card and some other bullshit that we had to deal with this last week, but it is what it is. 
Absolutely. And as always, much appreciated for the time that you and our casual corner compatriot here are willing to uh, give up week after week to come and help talk some shenanigans, run down the shit shows with me that we have got upcoming. But that is all we've got for this particular eh, words, this particular episode. So remember, if we made you laugh at some point throughout this shit, give us a thumbs up. If you give us some perspectives, we give you something to think about that you hadn't come up with on your own. Maybe give us a subscription, turn that bell on so you know when the new shows come out. If we really tickled your goddamn funny bone, share an episode with a friend so we can grow this damn show. On the other side of that coin, if we just seem like a couple of dumbasses talking into our cameras, give us a thumbs down. I won't dispute it. We earned it. But that's all we've got for this evening. So remember, don't let ignorance stop you. You can root for anything. And unlike the Canadian Prime Minister, we don't judge people by their blackface and the color of their skin. We judge you on your walkout presentation and your shitty male tramp stamps. That's all we've got for tonight, folks. Have a good one. Oh, that was bad. Everybody was kung fu fighting. Those kids were fast as lightning. In fact, it was a little bit frightening. But they fought with expert timing. There were funky Chinamen from Funk in the town. They were chopping them up. They were chopping them down. It's an ancient Chinese art. And everybody knew their part. From a fainting to a slip. And a kicking from the hip. Everybody was...